Luray, huh? Those are some pretty good towns in there. We could do some business in there. Well, it won't matter much. We're out of Bibles anyway. What do you mean we're out of Bibles? Why didn't you tell me we're out of Bibles? You look in the box too, don't you? Oh, you know, you've got an excuse for everything. Because you blame me for everything. If we were running out of Bibles, you should have told me we were running out of Bibles. Well, we're running out of Bibles. Well, then we'll get new ones. Then let's get some new ones. We can pick some up in Great Bend. Great Bend's the other way. Well, we've got to have Bibles, don't we? Let's see now. We can veer down to Lucas. Then we can veer down to Wilson. Then we're off to Lorraine and Bushton. We could veer off to Hoisington. We'll just have to keep on veering, that's all. I'm getting hungry. You hungry? Mm Mm-hmm. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. We are back again, everybody. Hello, Geneva. Hello, Tatum. Why don't you get us started off? Have you been watching anything fun this week? Yeah, I've actually been watching quite a bit this week. Um, So I was just telling Tatum off mic, I finally saw for the first time Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. Uh, So this is the last film that I had not seen in the famous 1968 Best Picture Oscars that are kind of, there's a book uh, by Mark Harris called Pictures at a Revolution that kind of argues that this particular year was sort of the the advent of the new Hollywood because it was this kind of really interesting mix of very classic uh, filmmaking that was going out of style and new filmmaking that was very revolutionary and Bonnie and Clyde is in the the top of the list of these really exciting new very controversial um, styles of filmmaking that were coming into um, play at that time so it is the story of Bonnie and Clyde, the famous, um, I guess, bank, like bank robbing couple from the 1930s, Great Depression era. Um, Definitely watching Paper Moon kind of give me, gave me similar, similar vibes because it's a similar setting. Um, But it, it is a really fascinating watch to see now with the distance of time because I went into it knowing that it was very controversial for the time for how frank it is about sex and how much violence there is watching and I was kind of like well this is a lot more tame (laughs) than I would have expected Um, but that's just because you know I'm watching it from the eyes of 2023 I can see why it was so controversial at the time and I think what's so remarkable like what was one of the things the reason that people were kind of outraged about it at the time is that it is very frank about uh the sort of um what's the word sort of teenage ennui you know you get the sense that bonnie and clyde start this crime spree because they are two sort of disaffected youths who don't care about anything and they just want adventure and they have no sense of morality they have no sense of obligation to other people or right or wrong they just they want excitement they want fame they want glamour they want something else in their lives and it's a you know it's a very relatable feeling but I think it's something that had not really been that was kind of only just starting to be depicted on screen in such a sort of value neutral way um 
anyway, it's, yeah, it's a great movie. It still holds up today. The acting is really incredible. And yeah, it's just a really interesting sort of um, picture of these new trends in Hollywood at, at that time, that kind of late 60s era. Um, let me see. What else did I watch? Like I said, I watched quite a few things. I rewatched some old favorites. I rewatched What's Up Doc, also by Peter Bogdanovich, which I'll probably bring up. Did you do that on purpose? Re- no, actually, I was oh, just wow. watching okay. with some friends, but it, it lined up really well. Um, rewatched Rio Bravo, which is a favorite of mine. And I feel very... like you just watched that. No, I haven't Didn't seen it. Didn't you just in... watch that like a few Mm-mm. weeks ago or something? No, I oh, haven't no, seen no, it. Oh, no, no, no. We were talking about doing that on the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's why. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yes, it had been several years since I had seen it, and I was afraid it wouldn't hold up, but you know what? It really did. I really love that movie. So <laughs> at some point, not right away, because I just rewatched it, but at some point, we'll probably do an episode on it. Yeah. Um, and then I watched a couple of classic musicals that I had never seen. So I saw Oliver exclamation point from 1968 which is a musical adaptation of Oliver Twist and then I saw Yankee Doodle Dandy from 1942 which is a musical biopic of George M. Cohen who is kind of a like a Broadway legend from the turn of the century both movies pretty good um I I was like okay I'm glad I saw them I don't know if I'll rewatch them again necessarily they're not super what I love about musicals when I watch musicals, and I'm a huge fan of musicals, but I am very glad I saw them because they are two classics. So anyway, that was my week. What about you, Tatum? Um, yeah, I actually, I haven't been watching that much. Um, similar to, I think what I said last episode, I've still continued doing a lot of writing and reading in my free time. Um, but as far as a few things, uh, I mean, I've really only watched two things I feel like this week. Well, I mean, I've been rewatching Community and Schitt's Creek, just kind of shows to put on that make me laugh and smile while I'm doing other stuff. But in terms of actually sitting down and engaging with stuff, um, so I was telling Geneva before we got on the air that I finished watching a fantastic reality dating show called The Ultimatum, but particularly their queer love season uh, it is the talk of the town at the moment, at least in the city of Chicago. Uh, this episode's coming out a few weeks after, I guess, the show finished. So maybe it won't be the talk of the town anymore by the time this comes out. But if you have not seen it, I would highly recommend uh, the premise of the show. <laughs> Shall I even explain the premise? <laughs> but basically, it's the premise. The premise is there are these couples that have been dating for a long time. And one of the partners in the couple wants to get married. The other one doesn't. And so they initiate an ultimatum and they say, we're going to go on this show. And by the end of this journey, it's basically a six week, seven week journey. By by the end of these seven weeks, we're either going to get engaged or we're done. And so there's a lot of twists and turns that come within that of, you know, they end up spending three weeks living with someone else that's also there. And then they, after that, they go back to living three weeks with their partner that they initially arrived there with. Um, So there is... Lots of drama, but also less drama than you would think, uh, because typically dating reality shows have a heck of a lot of drama. This one has drama, but it's not like overwhelmingly ridiculously so. Um, uh, yeah, so I would highly recommend The Ultimatum Queer Love if you are into that thing or into that type of like genre of television shows. Even if you're not, I still would suggest maybe 
give one episode a try because you might find yourself falling in love with it because it's really stinking good. Um, but yeah, so that's queer love ultimate or <laughs> ultimatum queer love. Um, queer love ultimate edition. Yeah, <laughs> queer love <laughs> ultimatum. Um, yeah, so that's that. And then another another one. Uh, again, I know this episode is coming out a few weeks after you know. I actually watch these things. By the time you guys hear it, it'll be weeks later. Um, but I'm pretty sure that this film will still be a huge thing by the time this movie comes out or by the time this podcast episode comes out. But I went to go see um, Across the Spider-Verse this week. Um, it, I, I called Geneva after I saw it in the theater and I told her that it's going to take a lot for a movie to top this one for me this year. Um, it is, it is just a heck of a lot of fun. The animation is absolutely mind blowing. If people had their mind blown by the first one, I mean, this takes it to a whole other level. This movie is absolutely stunning to look at the animation style, the colors, the, I didn't even read comic books growing up, but I can just feel such a love for the source material and the, just the genre of comic books and all of those things. Um, it has a good story behind it. It is something that I feel like anyone and, and, and everyone could watch and find a piece of it to enjoy. Um, the soundtrack is incredible. The, I mean, it's just, it's really, really amazing. Um, so if you haven't already seen it, I highly recommend see this in a theater while it is in theaters. This needs to be seen in a theater preferably on the biggest screen possible. I would highly recommend IMAX. Um, I saw this on a, on a regular screen and I'm going to be going again this week to see it on an IMAX screen because it really is just that, that incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, I find it hard to summarize, uh, not because the movie is, you know, ridiculously convoluted. It's just that there's a lot going on and I only watched it once. And so I was like, ah, the visuals, but the story, but the visuals, but the music, there's so much. Ah!" So, um, so yeah, I can't necessarily like summarize the story at this point because there's just so much going on, but in the best way possible. So I would highly recommend go see this film. I think you, I would say take your kids if they're over the age of like, I don't know, nine or 10. Um, I feel like if they're Six, they're probably too young. Seven or eight depends on the kid. But I feel like by nine or ten, uh, I'm not a parent. I don't actually know what I'm talking about. This is just my <laughs> suggestion. Do whatever you want. Um, but I think that this really is a movie that everyone can enjoy. Um, and I would recommend if you get the opportunity, don't see it by yourself. Go see it with a friend, with a family member, or just someone else. And if you go by yourself, talk to the people in the theater about it afterwards. Because dang. Oh, also be prepared this movie ends on a huge cliffhanger. Uh, just, just, just be <laughs> prepared alert. for that because you're going to come to the end and you'll be absolutely shocked by where <laughs> it ends and potentially even upset if you're not aware of what you're going to be getting into going in. So, um, but yes, that is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Go see it in a theater. But yeah, that's what I've been watching this week. So Yeah. Um, but I guess jumping forward into our specific review for today, um, today on the show, we are discussing Peter Bogdanovich and Polly Platt's 1973 road trip dramedy paper moon. Uh, I, 
I think I'll leave a little bit of space after this for if Geneva and I want to add a few little things in there uh, in dedication to Polly Platt, but we don't need to do that. I just, I wanted to make sure her name was stated. Go look up Polly Platt, guys. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway. Highly recommend, you might be mentioning this later, but mm-hmm. if you are not, if you are a fan of podcasts about movies and you're not already listening to You Must Remember This, they did an incredible season about Polly Platt. So and good. Um, long career in Hollywood and the contributions that she made toward uh, Peter Bogdanovich's movies, but also many other movies uh, throughout many eras in Hollywood. And yeah, she's incredible. So yeah, Polly Platt is a superstar. Um, So yeah, Um, today on the show, we are discussing Peter Bogdanovich and Polly Platt's 1973 road trip dramedy, Paper Moon. Taking place during the Great Depression years in America, Paper Moon tells the story of conman Mose, who finds himself accidentally and begrudgingly attached to his young daughter, Addie, after the death of her flapper girl mother. Initially tasked with delivering Addie to her distant aunt, Mose is held hostage by Addie, who demands that he pay her $200 <laughs> that he owes her. This starts the two on a road trip that emotionally connects them in ways that they did not expect. Through each of them being the only person that can beat the other at their own game, the two form a bond that turns out to be unbreakable. So after the success of his previous two films, Last Picture Show and What's Up Doc, Peter Bogdanovich's ex-wife and longtime partner slash collaborator, Polly Platt, suggested that he take on the script adaptation of the book Addie Prey, which would then become Paper Moon. Though the roles of Mose and Addie were originally intended to go to Paul Newman and his daughter Nell Potts, when the two of them departed the project, Ryan O'Neill and his daughter Tatum ended up landing the roles. Having worked on Bogdanovich's, having worked with Bogdanovich on What's Up Doc, O'Neill was ready for an op- for an opportunity to collaborate with him again. What the world didn't know was how not Ryan but his daughter Tatum would steal the show and make the film the success that it was. Her show-stopping and eventually Oscar-winning performance both elevated and grounded the film in a way that few can deny. So that's kind of just some general context as well as a summary for, um, for Paper Moon. So Geneva, why don't you uh, go ahead and start us off with your thoughts on this movie? Sure, yeah. I first saw this movie only a few months ago. So this is my second time watching within a year um and yeah i i really love this movie so much um it kind of it was surprising to me how much i liked it to be honest because i can sometimes struggle with media about con artists i i find the concept of con artists creepy in a way that i can't fully explain um i it's just the idea of i think someone so baldly lying to your face and not being able to trust the person in front of you that I just find very disturbing sometimes. And so sometimes I struggle with media whether it's directly about a con artist um, or is, you know, has a a con artist as a protagonist or hero. But um, for some reason, I didn't uh, have that problem with this movie at all. This movie is very, very charming um, in a way that's not overly sentimental. I think the relationship between um Addie and Mose is very it's very sweet but there's a lot of honesty to it as well I really love the way that Addie is depicted as this she's the sort of little girl who's been forced to grow up very quickly um she has a lot of street smarts she understands what adults are talking about when they say things that 
you know, like this little girl at this age should not be knowing what these things are, but she does. Um, but at the same time, she is just a child. And I, I love every time they have a moment where she's like listening to the radio and talking about what's about to happen in the story. And I'm like, oh my gosh, kids do that. Like, that's just a thing that kids do. <laughs> it's very cute. Um, the journey that she takes with Mose over the course of the story, the way that he kind of softens and is able to open up his heart to her a little bit. You know, the the end, their central dynamic, you can tell it's always going to be, there's always going to be this tension to it, but they really have grown to love each other and need each other. And um, the, the way that the story ends with them kind of saying, all right, well, we've we've accepted the fact that we're throwing in our lots with one another. We're not sure what the future is going to hold, but we're going to face it together. It's just very beautiful. And I think the the film does a lot too with the Great Depression 1930s setting um, that really just works so well with the themes, works so well with who these characters are as two people who are kind of down on their luck and are just trying to get by through any means possible. But they're not completely without a conscience or without a heart, um, which helps for me. So yeah, I, I really love this movie. I think it's it's very charming. Um, it's very well made. And I was really happy to be able to see it again. It sounds like, and correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth or, or whatever, but it sounds like you might agree with what a lot of other people said when, you know, when this movie first came out of... Tatum O'Neill, her performance as Addie really is the one who completes this film and brings it home. Oh, absolutely. Because without her, you know, Moe's would be a terrible person that Mm -hmm. for me, I'd be like, I can't even watch you. Like, I can't stand it. Or it could have become this like really overly sentimental of like, oh my gosh, I'm this daughter who's like doting on her father and my dad saved me. Or like, oh my gosh, I love my daughter so much. She's changed my life. But because of, A, the character of Addie, but also just the incredible performance that Tatum gives in this film, like, not just, with, like I said, not just without the character of Addie, but also without Tatum in this role. I feel like the, the film, I'm not going to say it wouldn't have worked. Maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. But I don't even want to ask that question of what this no, movie yeah. would have been without her. Because without her, this mm-hmm. film is just, it's not right. Yes. You know? With a lesser actor like child actor in that part the film would not work mm-hmm. i think like the this film succeeding as much as it does is so tone dependent and that tone is set by mm-hmm. Addie and by the relationship that she has with mose and the two mm-hmm. of them their chemistry as they banter with each other argue with each other is so natural um i know in real life i don't want to get into this too much i know in real life there were some issues between uh, Tatum O'Neill and her father, um, but on screen, in terms of their ability to work together as scene partners, their uh, the the chemistry that they have with each other is so so good, and it really really works well for the film and for the tone that it's setting. Yeah, what one hundred percent? I yeah, I ac- absolutely love her performance in this movie. Um, So yeah, I guess just to say real quickly what my thoughts are. um, Yeah, this movie's great. Um, I saw it for the first time a few years ago. It might have been in in like 2020. I think we've said this before on the podcast. 2020 
maybe it's 2019. I think it was those two years combined. It was just a huge movie time for me of creating this massive list of all these movies that I hadn't seen that I thought I had to see. And Paper Moon was one of them. Um, and so I finally got to watch this movie. And I think kind of similar to Geneva, I I wasn't particularly super excited to watch this movie. It was just kind of like, all right, I've heard about this. You know, I've literally heard about it my entire life because my name is Tatum. And people was like, oh, <laughs> Tatum O'Neill from Paper Moon. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I had known of this movie for a really long time, but I had never seen it. So I finally watched it and I was like, wow, that movie was really, really good. Um, I think for several reasons, like I said, Tatum's performance is fantastic. But also on top of that, I really... I have a soft spot for father-daughter stories. Um, I just, you know, this is absolutely no shade at all to my mother. My mother is a fantastic person. I admire her. I love her. She's the best mom on the planet. And I'm not just saying that because I have to. I'm saying that because I mean it. But also, me and my dad have a very special relationship. And and we have, you know, for, for a long time. And so movies that just kind of reflect... Um, just connections between fathers and daughters and kind of the struggles of that, but also the beauty of that. Um, I just really, I really connect with those types of stories and, and seeing the character of Addie being such a strong young child, like she's very young, but she is not weak because of that. She earns the respect of her father and he seems like someone who doesn't really give respect to others very easily. Um, but but with her, I mean, he really tries to to push her away, but he is so just drawn in by her and she's so endearing and challenging. And, and um, but then we also get these really sweet moments where we see her, you know, in the bathroom dressing up like her mom and, you know, trying to embody some sort of, um, you know, more girlish characteristic that she maybe tries to hide when she's out in public for all of these different reasons. And you know, watching the movie this time around, I really caught up, caught, um, like, wow, I'm, my brain is like farting today. Um, what was I going to say? Um, oh yeah. Like, so watching the movie this time around, I just, there were a lot of other things that I kind of picked up on a lot more subtle things in terms of like little references here and there to her history with her mom that might not be explicitly stated, but it's kind of hinted at through seeing it mirrored through other people or other circumstances or, you know, I just, there's a lot of subtlety here. There's a lot of, um, kind of like Geneva and I were saying before, like this movie could have very easily become extremely cheesy, very sentimental, super over the top, or the opposite, just being kind of very cringe in a way that's like, oh my gosh, these people are so deplorable. Like, I just can't. Um, or he's corrupting his daughter and we mm-hmm. can't watch this because this she is child could been, abuse. Like, She could also have been very annoying and yeah, spend the whole movie wishing that she would go away. But she's there's not. There's so many ways this movie could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't. And, you know, I, I think a large portion of that has to do with the acting performance that comes from Tatum but also I think the cinematography is really beautiful um Mm. you know not just because it they chose to have it be in black and white but in terms of how shots are framed and how the camera moves and I don't know it's just it's really well done um so yeah I the first time I watched this movie I didn't necessarily I didn't have low expectations but I didn't have high expectations either 
Um, and I fell in love with it. And uh, yeah, I was very excited to to watch it again. And I, I just really like this movie a lot. I think it's a great film. And uh, I think it's a movie that also, even though it was, it was made in the 1970s, which in my opinion isn't really that old, but for some people that might be considered an old movie. Um, I feel like for people who would consider movies from the 1970s to be an old movie, this movie feels very modern. It doesn't mm. feel old to me. The, the script and the acting style and all of those things, it does feel very modern. And I feel like people could today could appreciate it still. Um, yeah, definitely. It's so, very... Um, not appreciate it, it, but like connect with it still, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't drag too. The, I think the pacing mm-hmm. is very good. I'm yeah. curious in your research did was there any um I mean I don't know how how in depth you went with any research but did you happen to see anything about why the decision was made to shoot this film in black and white? I did very minimal research for this okay. podcast episode. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's just something I was curious about. I I think it works really well with I mean it's you know it's set in the 1930s when most films would have been in black and white. So you shoot it in black and white and it kind of instantly transports you to that place. But I still was very curious whether it was a cost cutting thing or whether it was a specific artistic choice. I feel like it would have been an artistic choice. I don't, I don't see Bogdanovich at this point in his career having to deal with cutting costs. Yeah. But well, I don't know. I've never seen last picture show, but that is black and white as, as well. Am I it is. Correct? I also yeah. do not like that movie. <laughs> but that's okay i should watch it again it's been a while but i honestly have no desire to yeah. watch it again. well i'll i'll i'm gonna see it at some point pretty soon it's on my most recent movie list to oh. watch list so please let me know your thoughts back. when you watch it um but yeah okay so let's go ahead i took um i actually was able to take some notes this time around it's so interesting we should do or we should do some type of like study as to why some movies lend themselves to taking notes and why some of them don't like there's <laughs> like John Wick. I just watched it and I barely wrote down anything. And then yeah. there's some movies where I write down a lot. I don't know why that is, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that one's so much of a sort of visual experience. There's not a whole lot to, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to necessarily be note taking at any given moment. I actually did not take notes during this one. Um, but I watched it just a few hours ago, so it's pretty fresh in my brain. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just to kind of go through, I guess, starting with my notes here, I um, I, <laughs> I did not really take the, the time to come up with any sort of, like, smart reason as to why, as to what the significance of this might be. I just kind of observed it and was like, there's probably a meaning here that's really deep, but I'm just not <laughs> thinking about it right now. But um, the opening shot that we have, or the opening scene rather at the funeral where we've got these three figures and then we have Addie and then eventually Moe's shows up. And I thought it was really interesting how, especially in the black and white, we see how these three adults are dressed in this very dark black. And then Addie is dressed in this pure white dress. And then we have Moe's coming in and he's dressed in like a gray suit. I was like, that's interesting how all of these, you know, characters that are here briefly and we're not going to see them again at this funeral, they're in all black. And then she's in a stark white and then he's in this like in-between gray. And I was like, there's probably some sort of meaning here, but I'm (laughs) not going to think about it at the moment. Um, But I just wanted to, I just wanted to note that because I just thought that opening sequence was shot really beautifully because I think 
a lot of this movie is not really shot very wide. It's kind of like the characters fill up fill up a lot of the screen. It's not really like, oh, super wide shots and the characters are really small in the middle. That does happen throughout the film, but I think a lot of the shots are predominantly like the characters fill the screen. And so, you know, when we do get those moments, like in this opening sequence, for example, where the camera is wider, um, I don't know. I just think it's beautiful. Again, there's probably some symbolic reason as to why the wider shots are wider shots. But I watched this movie at like 8 a.m. and I wasn't going to do that at 8 (laughs) a.m. Did you notice any of that, though, in terms of just like the cinematography of like wider versus close up or anything like that? Not with that specifically, but I was thinking on this rewatch how well this film uses the the landscape of the place that it's filmed. This this film takes place across the kind of mid, I guess not Midwest, South Central. What part of the country is it? South. It's the Midwest. It's like it's Kansas it's like and Missouri. So. Kansas and Missouri. Yeah, those sort of Great Plains um, states where it's very flat. You can kind of see for miles these very dusty roads um and you know it really does evoke that sort of um dust bowl era everyone is kind of out in the country and so there's a certain sense of country values that are in the the people that they're encountering um there are a lot of chases that happen in cars um that make great use of these kind of wide roads where you can that go on for miles um you get the sense that everything is kind of dry and people are just kind of a little bit desperate you know a little bit they struggling and so there is that sense of kind of simultaneously everyone needs to as Addie says like as frank frank d roosevelt says everyone needs to help each other out and so you get a sense of that throughout the movie but all then conversely that sense of everyone is out for what they can get everyone is trying to keep themselves afloat even if it's at the expense of everyone else and I think all of that is in the the way that they use the the landscape and through the cinematography hmm yeah that's a really it's a really interesting perspective um yeah I think yeah just to kind of add on top of that like this movie is just I know I keep saying this it's just very well shot I feel like there's so Mm -hmm. much there's so much to chew on here I feel like you could you could almost not pick things apart frame by frame but you could really analyze things down to a t if you really wanted to because there's just so much going on here in terms of not just you know the what's being captured or what types of lenses or how the camera's moving but also in terms of like you know, how the camera is filming the clothing or filming, you know, the type of how the wind is moving in this place or whatever it might be. Like, it's just, it seems to be very intentional to me exactly where the cameras are placed and what they're capturing and why. And that sounds very, it sounds like a stupid thing to say because it's like, don't all movies do that? I mean, (laughs) yes, but I feel like with this one in particular, it just feels very intentional to me. Um, and, and I feel like I can see the choices and um, I really appreciate yeah. that. So. Well, so much of this movie, I mean, you call it a, a road trip dramedy, which, you know, it very much is. So much of this movie is the characters in a car together, driving in a car, um, you know, sitting in the front seat, bantering with each other. And so you get those close-ups of the two of them filling the frame as, as they're having conversations. But then you also get these beautiful shots of the, the car moving throughout these very wide, flat landscapes. And then it is that idea of just kind of the two of them 
alone together against the entire world, you know, trying to make their way through this massive landscape, basically, that, um, that is harsh, you know, it's, it's not really a, um, a lush, verdant place that is teeming with activity. It's the two of them in this kind of lonely wasteland that they need to, and they need to find their way through it. And I think that really also informs their, the, the struggles that they go through throughout the film. Yeah, it's it's the two of them against the world, you know, yep. and mm-hmm. it, it really it really feels that way. Um, yeah, I just kind of to um, just continue with something I was saying before in terms of like the camera capturing certain things. But I really um, I really enjoyed the wardrobe in this movie because I, I see there being a lot of um, just a lot of communication as to who specific characters are through what they're wearing. And, you know, the opening sequences that we have with Moe's, he's wearing this nice striped suit, but it is incredibly wrinkled. It is very, (laughs) very, like, Mm -hmm. you cannot not see how wrinkled this suit is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you were a costumes person on set, it would be so, like, it's so noticeable that if it wasn't supposed to be that way, they would be like, excuse me, we need to go in and like swap out this jacket. <laughs> so the fact that his suit is in that state, I think that it's just, it says so much about his character of just, you know, he's trying to, he's a con man, right? He's trying mm-hmm. to present himself as this person who's very official and a man of the church who's selling Bibles and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. He's a stand up guy. But if you really look closely, he's actually a mess. Mm-hmm. And it's he's all just, facade. it's a complete lie, you know? And, but that's just his character. And then we see kind of Addie going through her, going through her arc of dressing in overalls and just having this little cute hat that she wears all the time and that she feels very comfortable in her own skin. But then we get these hints that, but maybe she wants to try being something different, but she doesn't know how. And then she tries on dresses and then she seems to be pretty comfortable in them as time goes on. Initially, she's like, why is this bow in my hair? I hate this. <laughs> but then as time goes on, she really seems to to love it but then we see her again in her overalls at the end and so we see this kind of evolution of she started in this place where she felt more repressed in terms of this is who I have to be and I'm too nervous to maybe or not fully confident enough to try doing something different to then towards the end being like no I feel confident in both of these different skins of myself if that makes sense and then you know we see Trixie's wardrobe and her you know tight and striped dresses and all of these things but then when she's in her room by herself she's completely disheveled and I don't know I just really I really liked the the costumes in this movie I thought that I I just thought the design the costume design was very well done so yeah I don't know if you noticed any of that I know you're a costumes person but Uh, yeah yeah and I I could not agree more I love Trixie's costumes I love that that bright or white a sort of frilly organza or cotton dress that she's wearing that when um, she's Mo's tripping up the her. hill yeah <laughs> it's like the most impractical outfit you could possibly wear in this terrain because it is it is so tight it is so white you know it's instantly she's going to start sweating through it and she's going to get dirt on it but she feels like she needs to keep up the appearance that she is this fine lady who's sort of above everything else which we need to talk about that scene because that's a great scene um with Mose, I really love what you pointed out about how this suit I think he wears pretty much the same suit throughout although you know if it's different gray suits they're all kind of the similar gray stripe so it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. tell but there's this one great scene where um 
he and Addie are staying at a hotel and he comes in late in the middle of the night and he's tipsy and she just watches as he carefully folds up his pants and then throws them under violently the mattress. tosses it under the violently mattress. Violently tosses them under the mattress, clearly as a like, you know, a free way to press his pants overnight. But then he just <laughs> flops he down on the bed still in his suit jacket. Like he does not even take off his jacket. He just takes off the pants and then the jacket he just like falls asleep in. I'm pretty sure he's incredibly drunk at that time Mm -hmm. as well. But yes, I, you know, there's just particular, that's why I called this movie. Cause when I was writing it initially, I was like, I don't even know. Cause I feel like it's a drama, but it's almost kind of a comedy, which is why I landed on Dramedy. Cause there's some really funny moments in this movie, like him taking the time to fold and then just (laughs) throwing it under the mattress or like what I honestly think that this might be what, like if not, the absolute one of my absolute just favorite parts of this movie that makes me laugh so hard mm-hmm. is the moment when um Trixie and Imogene are getting back in the car and Trixie's like don't break anything now and Imogene just like th- like completely <laughs> slams her bags in the back of the car and it's just like clearly there's noises that things are breaking and shattering and she <laughs> yeah. just does not care at all <laughs> as well she shouldn't there's just so many moments in this movie where it it genuinely is very funny. And I, you know, I, I also love this moment in the beginning. I, and part of me was like, is this character introduction? Is it trying to tell us something about his character? And then part of me is like, I literally think that it is just to be funny because I don't see how this really pushes his character. But when we first see Moe's in that diner and he's putting like, I... I don't even know how much sugar into his coffee. He (laughs) didn't even notice that. He is pouring. He's got this huge sugar shaker thing that's pouring out like lot. He's not shaking it. He's pouring sugar. And you should look up the clip again because he is literally pouring sugar nonstop for probably 20 seconds of just holding sugar, (laughs) pouring into his cup. And I'm like, I don't, I think this is just supposed to be funny because Mm. I, you know, I don't think it really contributes much to him as a con man or whatever, you know, otherwise why would it go on for that long? Yeah. Well, the very first, and this does definitely contribute to his setup instantly, his character as a con man. I noticed the first time, uh, this time watch going through the very first time that we see Moe's when he pulls up at the the cemetery Mm -hmm. as he's walking up and everyone else is praying and so they're not looking at him. He quickly steals (laughs) a bunch of flowers flowers. off of another grave (laughs) and then comes up to them and is holding the flowers like he brought them. It's very funny. I actually, I wanted to talk to you about this because it, it was something, it was a thought that didn't occur to me the first time I watched it, but it did this time around. Why do you think he went to the funeral i think because um a he was in the area <laughs> he would not have driven out of his way <laughs> like how does but, he even know is has he been keeping track of her all this time i think he heard about what happened and a i think he did genuinely have affection for Addie's mother um the way he talks about her you know how he's constantly praising her to me that doesn't read as completely um disingenuous I, th- I think right. he did genuinely really like her but I think also with the circumstances of how he died the very first thing he does before leaving town is he goes to the brother of the man who killed her basically she was killed mm, in a drunk yeah. driving accident we learned yeah 
Um, and so he goes to the brother of the, the guy who was driving at the time and shakes him down for $200. So I would not be surprised if he learned about the circumstances, was in the area, and so was genuinely like, well, maybe I'll go and pay my respects, but also saw an opportunity to be like, well, maybe I can get something out of this, you know? And then meeting Addie just ended up being a wrinkle that he did not expect. Yeah. You have my job. No, I don't have your job, but you do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, not, not particularly, but I do think that you kind of saying that is getting the wheels turning in my head because something that I, that I did notice this time around watching the movie, which maybe I noticed the first time around, I don't know, but this time I focused on it a lot more. I do see a lot of parallels, I think, being drawn between Trixie and Addie's mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see Addie kind of have this respect for her after he has that conference, after she has that conversation with her on the hill and, you know, Trixie kind of gets real with her about her life situation. And, you know, I just, I see Addie kind of, softening towards this woman because she sees like oh this is this is my mom almost you know Mm -hmm. and I think we see a connection between Mose and Trixie as well I I think that initially it's kind of like oh she's hot and like I can just drive her around and whatever and make myself feel cool by buying her things but then I do think genuinely when we do you know hear about him seeing her with that other guy from the Mm -hmm. hotel and he leaves I don't remember the exact line, but it was something of like, I, I really actually liked that woman and and I wanted to keep her around and all that stuff. So I'm not necessarily saying he knows how to love well. Um, Mm. but I do think that we see through Trixie that he does genuinely, he, he can have genuine affection for women that he meets in like brothels or, or whatever it might be. And so, all of that long, you know, roundabout way to answer your question is like, I guess now that you're talking about it, I can see how potentially he did have some sort of connection with her. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't see him traveling a long way (laughs) to, you know, um, and he does genuinely seem surprised that she does have a child that is Mm -hmm. his, because I think if it had been something where it's like, Oh, I knew she had my kid and I've been keeping tabs because I wanted to know what was going on with my child. He wouldn't have been so surprised by her. So mm. I think in, in as kind of ridiculous as it sounds almost, but like, I do think it was a coincidence of he just happened to kind of be there and, or, or was close by somewhat and was like, okay, you know, I knew this lady once I might as well go. And who knows, maybe he wanted to shake down some of the people at the funeral. Like, I, I don't know. Um, because I think the fact that he stole flowers while walking up to the grave, you know, doesn't entirely communicate that he wholeheartedly wanted to pay his respects. I think there was yeah. something else there, too. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I do think it was a coincidence, but it seems like a pretty uncanny coincidence. But it gets the ball rolling for the rest of the story, so it's it fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you actually, know, minor I- details. Yes, yeah. And actually, I'm so glad that you drew the connection between Trixie and Addie's mom, because that's something that jumped out on me to me on this rewatch as well. Yeah. Um, you'd mentioned before your interpretation of her, her costuming being this kind of arc. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I don't disagree with that necessarily. But I don't know, I was very interested by her costuming in this movie and her her the way that she views femininity and the sort of 
ambivalence that she has toward it where she does seem to be I guess what they would call at the time a tomboy you know she's very much more comfortable in the sort of masculine or at least androgynous clothing you know we see the that she has this photograph of her with her mom. It's the only time we see what her mom looked like. And her mom is very conventionally feminine and is posing very flirtatiously. And Addie is just in her little overalls, <laughs> like looking so cranky, which is yep. very funny. Her classic look. <laughs> yeah. But her sort of curiosity towards femininity, I found very interesting in this sort of, I don't, I don't think this is unusual at all for little girls, um, for some of whom grow up to be like, you know, more sort of masculine or androgynous in this style, but some of them do grow up then to be more conventionally feminine in their comfort level. But there is this sort of curiosity and exploration at that age and a, um, I don't know, sort of a fascination and also repulsion at the same time where there's that sort of, I don't know, power attached to femininity in a sense that they're kind of curious about, but also a little afraid of. And Addie's upbringing is so unique in that obviously she was, you know, witnessing her mom's like being similar to Trixie from what we can gather and, you know, sleeping with a lot of different men and like being very conventionally feminine and using it to kind of get men and live this sort of, you know, more party girl kind of lifestyle. And so that's what Addie was around. And the fact that she kind of as a reaction to that potentially is um dressing in this more more androgynous style but then she does clearly have this sort of curiosity toward it and when people call her like mistake her for a boy because she has this very androgynous haircut she gets very offended by it you know she's like I'm not a boy I'm a girl why don't people understand that and yeah I just found it very interesting her um the like she I think over the course of the film like eventually learns to perform femininity to a certain extent although it's usually more in the in the service of their scams you know as a way to kind of appear as this like cute pure little girl because it'll be really helpful for Moe's in whatever scam he's pulling and so I think she does find some level of comfort with it but it is also in a sense a performance which yeah I don't know I mean it'd be very curious to see um, if they were, obviously this would never happen, but like theoretically, if you were to check in on Addie 10, 15 years after this movie takes place, what she would look like and the life that she would be living. I mean, the <laughs> can't imagine that Moe's would provide her a very stable or um, <laughs> healthy environment, no matter much, how much he does ultimately, I think, secretly love her. Um, so yeah, I'd be very curious to see <laughs> what yeah. she sort of, uh, what her life ends up looking down the road when she becomes an adult and is able to kind of take control and make these very active choices about how to present herself and how to live her life. Well, speaking as a former tomboy child and also <laughs> current tomboy adult, uh, I can, I can definitely, uh, agree with I mean I think that's one of the reasons why I loved this movie the first time I watched it because even though I'm way older than Addie is at this point in my life I see a lot of my past self in her um you know having this dynamic of this is how I and this is me speaking as like you know 10 year old me not as my current mm -hmm. 
age. But at that age being like, okay, I know that I am more comfortable in this type of clothing, but also I want to be seen as a girl. I don't want to be seen as a boy. And like, what does that mean? Why do I, do I have to dress a certain way in order for people to see me a certain way? But what if I don't want to do that? And, you know, I see a lot of um, just, I see a lot of myself in the character of Addie. And I think that that adds an extra layer as to why I like this movie so much. And, you know, I remember when I watched this movie for the first time a few years ago, I spoke with my mom afterwards. I was like, it's kind of hilarious how uh, me and Tatum O'Neill have the same name. And uh, I also <laughs> can really relate to this fictional character. And my mom was like, yeah, I thought the same thing when I, when you, <laughs> when you were born, <laughs> because, you know, obviously uh, t- or this movie came out long before I was born but as my mom you know started to see me growing up she was like oh this <laughs> oh, is interesting <laughs> um not that I'm a con person but um I'm definitely and always have been someone who can go tit for tat with someone who's you know challenging me or or whatever yeah but anyway. not a con person but I could if you were forced by circumstances <laughs> if, to if I wanted to be a con person spray, I feel like you'd do pretty well yeah <laughs> okay. I, I I could make it happen if if I needed to uh but thankfully mm-hmm. I haven't needed to do that um but yeah so you kind of talking a little bit about um just kind of Addie and, and her relationship with Trixie I just wanted to make sure I mentioned in there you were saying all of these things about like you know Addie looks like this and she might think like this and what about the future or whatever but I think Trixie made it very clear about what Addie's future is because of her bone structure oh my gosh <laughs> because she's got <laughs> this bone structure <laughs> and so she's going to just become the same person as Trixie because of her <laughs> bone structure you know Trixie didn't have bone structure so she never thought but then she got the bone structure I was like girl if you say bone structure one more time and this whole time Addie's just sitting there like oh my gosh shut up (laughs) yeah but Uh, that scene actually sorry just a side tangent of appreciation for Madeline Kahn and how great she is in this movie did she am I wrong that she got like a best actress she was nominated for for supporting actress yeah yeah very well deserved Madeline Kahn is was the absolute best um but that scene on the hillside, so Addie is really cranky that, for understandable reasons, that Trixie has joined up with them. She's being very annoying. Mose is going and spending all this money on her. Um, and Addie is, so they go have this pac- picnic and Addie is refusing to come back to the car until she can sit up front. And Trixie goes and talks to her and at first is all like, you know, trying to be all sweet and offer her things. And then she's like, you gotta better get down to the car or else. But then finally she turns and she kind of talks to Addie as an almost like adult to adult woman, woman to, to woman. woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where she's just kind of admits like, I know I'm going to screw this up eventually. I am never able to make my relationships with men last. So you don't really need to worry. You just need to wait it out. I'm I'm just in this to get something out of it. Your dad will get something out of it. You'll get something out of it. And yeah, just hang in there a little bit longer. And eventually I'm going to be gone because I know who I am. And I know what I, the effect that I have on men basically and what I can get out of them. I don't know. It's this very interesting humanizing moment for Trixie who is someone who, else you know throughout most of the rest of the movie is just this kind of shallow um obnoxious person yeah very obnoxious I mean she's terrible to her maid um she's just 
you know, she's just constantly clearly just out for her own kind of advancement, her own good time. Um, But there is that nice moment where she gets to be kind of like a little bit self-reflective and Addie really responds to that. And that's the only thing that convinces her to come down is Trixie actually treating her like a intelligent person and opening up to her a little bit. And I, yeah, I just found that moment to be really interesting and again, very, very well acted by both of them. Yeah. I mean, something that I wrote down in my notebook was that I genuinely think that everyone in this movie is a con person um, because we see that through everyone. We see it through Moe's in a very obvious way and then also kind of through Addie in a very obvious way. But then through Trixie, she's kind of pulling her own con on people because she's acting a certain way in order to get certain treatment from men in order to kind of just survive and get a little bit farther along, which is the same thing that Moe's and Addie are doing. And then I think that Imogene is doing the same thing. She's like, I hate this woman (laughs) that I'm working for, but I have to put on this show in order to be taken care of as long as I need to be until I can move on to something else. And we even see that with the cops too, at the end, it's like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to act a certain way, but you know, if we can't capture you here, we're at least going to treat you badly. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. I just think that this whole movie is a representation of, you know, everyone here is a con person. And it's, I think it's an interesting question of which of them are con people out of just because they want to be versus con people because they have to be, because, you know, this is the great depression era. And so there isn't really much to be had. And um, at least I think that that's kind of what's suggested in the movie. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so I just think that that's a really interesting question to ask. And, and I feel like in that moment with Trixie and Addie, yes, it's a conversation. I agree with you. It is a conversation of like adult to adult, woman to woman. But I think it's also a conversation of from con person to con person, from desperate person to desperate person, mm-hmm. you know, because like she says, I, I get something out of it. You get something out of it. He gets something out of it. We all need something. So let's just hold on to this while we can, because mm-hmm. soon enough, we're all going to be lacking something. So let's hold on to what we have now. And I just think that that's kind of a thread that we see throughout the whole movie. And it's interwoven through all of these different dynamics and interactions and scenarios. And um, yeah, I just think it's really well done. And, and that scene, like you said, with Trixie and Addie, it is just... I think it's really beautiful and it I really appreciate seeing that that moment with Trixie because kind of like you said uh maybe it would have bothered me even more than you I don't know but like if not for this scene I would absolutely hate Trixie she's so obnoxious I cannot Mm. I cannot stand her (laughs) not to mention how she treats Imogene which makes me not just annoyed but also angry Mm -hmm. um but you know I just think it 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 makes her human and I think uh, it, it, it shows again, more so that connection between how Addie can see her as her mother and also like, and through seeing Trixie as her mother also kind of see her mother as a person because, you know, she's seeing the side of Trixie of being a person. I don't know. It's just kind of this, this whole amalgamation of Trixie representing her mom, at least in my opinion and Mm -hmm. and unpeeling all of these layers. And, um, yeah, I, yeah, I or just, at least like the, the part of her mom that she probably has some resentment towards and is um, 
reacting against, you know? Well, I was also going to say, yes, I agree with that. But I think also a part of her mother that she has empathy for too, because Mm. one of the things I really like, or another one of the things I really like about this movie is that Addie is not just a bratty little kid. She's Mm. not just this like demanding firehouse of, of a girl who's just like, ah, you know, she's also very empathetic because we see, you know, I think in, for me, the first moment that I can remember seeing that is when her and Moe's go to con that one family mm-hmm. and Addie totally picks up on like, this is a single mother with seven children and mm-hmm. her husband just died. She has nothing like we need to walk away. And Moe's yeah. wouldn't have done that if Addie hadn't have been there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see her softening towards Trixie when Trixie actually is vulnerable and talks about an area where she is, where she has weakness and she needs help, you know? And I just love, I love seeing that in Addie because I think, you know, without seeing the the softer sides of these characters, this movie would have been a lot harder to swallow. Um, and I think through seeing the empathy from Addie, we see that kind of making its way to Moe's as well. Moe's starts to soften a little bit because of the interactions he has with Addie and, and they, they both kind of change each other. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's great. I, I love how Addie is a child, but she also is, she's an adult who's impacting adults in adult ways, but she's also a child. It's just, it's, it's this crazy combination. I think she's just such a great character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what she chooses to do, the way that she eventually orchestrates a trap for Trixie so that Mose walks in on her having sex with the, um, the um what do you call it the concierge the co- yeah the concierge of this hotel um and you know breaks up Moe's <laughs> and Trixie through that I mean that is and also gives Imogene money to get home mm-hmm. yeah I mean that's her consciously making the choice to rescue Imogene and to rescue Moe's like to extricate them from this woman who is not good for either of them um yeah it is it is her making this very adult and you know definitely like as a child you know she's not maybe not fully thinking through the potential consequences of what how this could have gone wrong um but it does go okay but it is her like consciously exercising this um you know these two people that I care about are being harmed by their association with this woman and I need to find some way to free them you know there's so many times throughout the film that she protects Moe's in one way or another you know Mm -hmm. he provides protection for her and the fact that he's in a he's the adult in the relationship but she is also looking out for him you know they they really do need each other in in so many ways yeah I mean they're they're a team and one of the things I love is that again kind of repeating what I said a little bit but I do feel like Addie is she is a child, but she also is this adult too. And I think there's tragedy to that in terms of like, let a kid be a kid. Don't make them Mm -hmm. grow up too fast, which there is an element of that to her for sure. But there's also great sides to that too. of Like, you know, Moses kind of careless in ways that are Mm -hmm. not good. And Addie steps in and takes control in places where it, where control needs to be taken. Like she is essentially the manager of the money. Like one of my favorite quotes (laughs) that I wrote down was this sequence where Mose goes up to her in the street and he's like, give me a 20. And she goes, what for? And then he gives her such sass. He's like, 
give me a 20 (laughs) but it's like he has to ask her for permission Mm -hmm. and she asks him why what do you need it for Mm -hmm. he's like I'm the adult here like what (laughs) Um, at the end when he like he has taken all their money I've I'm blanking on exactly why but he is jumped by the corrupt policeman and mm -hmm. beaten up and you know he has no money left when she's like I kept a ten dollars in case of emergencies like that's such a like yeah clearly she is the responsible one between the two of them which is quite frightening but you know yeah Yeah. well it also (laughs) is interesting too though like again with her being so mature and yet also being a child she's the one that um first steps up their con artist like ambitions Mm -hmm. i guess you know he has clearly worked out this system and has figured out here is the the amount that i can push that push this and i will feel safe that i'm not going to get arrested you know he has this price that he has set for the the bibles that he's scamming people into buying and she pushes it and she's able to gauge these different situations and say we can charge more to this person because they're rich and they're not going to care and he's really worried about it you know understandably he's like i'm going to get arrested if you push this too far and she is this sort of childlike like no, let's push this for all we can, you know, and she turns out to be right. But it is, it is, a, I think, also a sign that she is younger and more reckless and, you know, less aware of potential bad consequences. Yeah, yeah. I, I also think it's interesting how I think, I think that this is our only real interaction or encounter with like people that don't that that don't have nothing in this movie but that one Mm -hmm. interaction with that woman and he's kind of hesitant of 24 dollars but the woman doesn't even give it a second thought she's like okay let me go get my checkbook and I just think that that is you know it's a very brief moment in the movie but I think just having a little bit of a hint of that especially during this great depression kind Mm -hmm. of era really communicates of like just the the what's the word I'm looking for? Like the financial inequality that existed during this Mm -hmm. time of like, there were people that had nothing and could not get out. And then the people who had a lot and kind of didn't really have to worry because they just had so much. Um, And I'm not going to claim to be a historian of the great depression because I'm not. So, um, but I just, yeah, I just think that that's really interesting that that's kind of our one brief interaction we have with someone who, who is wealthy. Um, But I think kind of just going back, because we haven't really talked too much about Moe's I feel like but um I just wanted to say that one thing I do really like is because I do think that he you know obviously he starts out at this as this guy who does not want to be a caretaker at all like we Mm -hmm. literally have this moment where Addy asks him you don't like me much do you and he goes no I don't like you (laughs) like he straight up says no I don't like you but then I think after that moment, they go and do their first kind of con together. And then Mm -hmm. after that, they're back in the car and they're both sitting there just kind of smiling, you know, Mm -hmm. for a long time. They're both just sitting there wordlessly smiling. And it's kind of the start of this arc for him where he really does become more of a I was going to say nurturing. I don't know if nurturing is the right word, but like. Mm more uh, more aware of the fact that he has a child that needs to have some sort of care or guidance or whatever um but I just find it to be really interesting his his parenting decisions and I don't mean that in a negative way like I find it really interesting how he gives her a lot of freedom in certain ways and maybe that's bad maybe that's good I don't know I mean he's he's the man is clearly not 
equipped to be a parent like he you know he he learns he gets better over the course of the film but it's you know it's it's not something he was expecting and it's definitely not he would not be your first choice to suddenly get the the uh, parenting of this how old is she nine I Um, think nine yeah yeah but but I do I do like I I just like seeing those elements of him trying his attempt at parenting and, and some things that he does really well at and some things that he doesn't like when he first discovers that she's smoking in the room he's like um I think you're too young for that but then his ultimate decision is like you're gonna set the room on fire and that's why it's a problem yeah. <laughs> like but then I also love how we have but moments- then he also no he he doesn't stop her she just keeps smoking and then he just turns out the light like he doesn't actually make her put out the cigarette yeah and so I love how we have moments like that but then we have another moment where like after that night where Addie is in the bathroom and like completely bathing in perfume (laughs) you know (laughs) the next morning they're sitting in this car and I feel like this is such a good dad Mm -hmm. moment of Mm -hmm. like I'm not gonna make my child feel awkward I'm not gonna say anything I'm just gonna acknowledge that like this is something that a child did for whatever reason doesn't matter I'm just gonna open the window I'm not (laughs) gonna make them feel uncomfortable I'm just gonna be like hey it's a kid thing Let's deal with it. I'm just going to open the window. And I thought that that, that was, was really sweet. I thought it was a really sweet <laughs> gesture of like just a parent, yeah. like a, par- a parental choice. I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> that's a sweeter interpretation. I just thought it was hilarious because the look on Addie's face, like when he when he's sniffing her, she looks so proud. And then he opens the window and then she's like, oh, dang it. <laughs> and she starts know. to like. Oh, he doesn't like it. I may have gone too far. I, just I mean, it really funny. someone's got to tell her just in a loving way. I feel like that's <laughs> that's not how you put telling her. Girl. Like she doesn't have a mother to tell her these things. She's it's gotta find it's out a somewhere. bit much. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was a really a really a really sweet. Yeah. Um, well, can like I just, just say, I think it's very funny, and I a hundred percent agree with you. But you have just from the beginning been like yep he's her father even though in the movie he never acknowledges that he's her father like even to the they end they have the same like, jawline they both they have know. the same jawline yeah they both know like there's not really a question look but... at the bone structure <laughs> <laughs> look at the bone structure you know mr pritchard and mr cooper or whatever those other two people in the town they were nice to me but they don't have my jaw anyway um yeah i I just find it really interesting that by the end they've kind of accepted like the this is our relationship this is who we are to each other but he still never actually says like yeah i think i might be your father yeah i mean i don't know i feel like and and i'm not saying that you disagree with this statement because i no i mean clearly he is her father like i well no i I was gonna say i was gonna say that like you know I, i don't I don't think that you have to be, I don't know. I just think that this really shows that like, it doesn't matter if you're biologically related, like you can Mm -hmm. be a parent and child regardless of, it it just depends on like, are you guys going to take on those roles and, and care for each other and, and trust in that relationship. And that's really all that matters. Um, you know, people adopt people all the time and that's father, child, whatever. Um, but that being said, I'm kind of like, you know, Mose, I love you. I think you're doing the best you can, but I also feel like if you were being maybe, I don't know. Part of me is like, if you were really being a good father, you would have her stay with her aunt who is very Mm -hmm. clearly a loving person who has a home and like 
a child mm-hmm. who would be Addie's cousin that she a could stable place for her to you live know, and go to school. Part yeah. of me is like, Mose, you should recognize that that's better for her. But also I'm like, is it better for her? I don't know because she's bonded with this person and maybe she doesn't, maybe the, the effects of like the after effects of her being abandoned would actually be more harmful. I, I don't know. Um, but I feel like there should have at least been a discussion about it. I feel <laughs> I like mean, he could have like gone he in, come talked in and, to the aunt, yes. have a conversation with the aunt, maybe come mm-hmm. up with some sort of like shared custody or like you come visit once a month or I don't know. I don't know. Something could have been worked out here. So it's not fully Moe's and never the aunt, you mm-hmm. know, but yeah. Well, their dynamic is so interesting because there is so much equality to it. And I feel like mm-hmm. that is part of the reason why he refuses to acknowledge the fact that he is her father, even though he clearly is, is that from the very beginning, he treats her like an adult from the yeah. very beginning. He is doing business propositions with her and they are partner literal partners in crime and you know he's putting her in charge of them well she's taking control of the money and he has to ask her permission and everything and if he was actually to acknowledge the fact that he was her father that would probably put the impetus on him to take more control Mm. and to be more all right because I'm your father I need you to do these things even though you know, if it's better in your best interest as a child, but also it's probably not in my interest as much, um, which he probably doesn't want to do because she is so good for business. You know, she is has this natural aptitude. They they do great together as a team. Um, but there is that kind of, you know, I think for him to acknowledge their familial role more would do harm to the um, partnership that they've established. And the ending, I mean, it's interesting that the ending is her actively choosing to stay with him. And he sort of like feebly protests, but like, you know, he clearly wants her to stay. They want to to be together and to continue this. But when she, I had this thought when she's running down the road to join him, I'm like, I feel like this is a, in a, the ending of a rom-com where like someone is running through the airport to get, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to catch the other person before they get on the plane. Like there is that, obviously there, there's, you know, not a romantic element there, but there is that sense of equality between the two of them, even though one is an adult and one is a child. Well, I don't think, and I'm not saying this is necessarily what you're saying, but I don't think that Mose fully puts that on her without her inviting it because their first interaction is her immediately being like, you owe Mm. me $200. He, He doesn't start out with this business transaction. She's the one who starts it. And That's he a really good point. Tr- and he tries to push it away. And she's like, no, 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 no. I earned that money mm-hmm. for you. And I was aware enough to recognize that that's what was happening. You owe me $200. <laughs> and then she starts screaming and he's like, oh my God, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that she invites it and she asks for it too in, in lots of ways. And so I don't think it's, you know, it's just an interesting dynamic of, again, kind of going back to something that I mentioned earlier, like, you know, how much of this is something where Moe's, assuming he was a qualified parent, which he's not, but assuming he was in this sort of situation, would it be better for him to kind of put his foot down and be like, no, I'm the adult, blah, 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 like go to timeout or, or whatever mm-hmm. until I'm right. Or would it be smarter to kind of work with her and see her as the adult that she wants to be seen as and not make her feel smaller and that's one of the things I really like about him. Again, is he the most capable parent? No, but I do like how it's, I don't think he necessarily treats her as an adult. I think he treats her like a human 
and she is asking to be treated like an adult. And so, you know, whether that's her smoking or her, you know, (laughs) asking for $200 or her managing the money or whatever, this is clearly her asking for something. And, and he's giving it to her because he's like, okay, I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to treat you like the adult that you want to be and all of that. So I think that that, on the one hand, I see a lot of beauty in that relationship and I see a lot of love and respect there that I think a lot of parents don't necessarily have for their children because they see them as kids. Um, and I think sometimes parents treat their kids as kids because the parents are actually adults. I feel like Moe's is kind of a child. So it's, yeah, it's, no, absolutely. Like there is Addie, something sort of emotionally stunted in Moe's. I mean, we, we hear just a tiny bit of his backstory. The fact that his family is kind of broken and scattered. I think he says like, I forget what exactly what he said. He had, like, he has a sister, but he doesn't know where she is. And maybe both his parents are dead. I can't remember exactly what, but like, clearly there is something in him that is like, this is not the most mature man, maybe, who's had like the most stable childhood himself and so then would understand what a child theoretically needs to to be a child. Yeah, I think that we, in a lot of ways, it's almost like Addie, I feel like they're the same age. Like Addie is older mm-hmm. than her age and Mose is a lot younger than his age. And because of that, they're kind of the same yeah, age. Yeah, they meet in the middle. Which, which is almost kind of gives that that same dynamic of, you know, we're just careless teenagers that met each other. And now we're going off on this adventure without a care in the world. Like, let's figure it out as we go. Um, So I think, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting question, at least for me to think about, you know, is it, is it better to kind of treat a child as the adult and give them the respect that they're asking for? Or is it, better to like kind of speak to them and and help them recognize like no you're you're a kid like I you shouldn't have to be worrying about these things like you you need to be a kid and you know I I don't think that Moses is necessarily capable of doing that but now I'm Mm -hmm. just kind of psychologically analyzing Addie as a character like what would actually be better for her would it be better Mm -hmm. for her to be treated as an adult um because that's how she sees herself or would it be better for someone to kind of you know, make her think a little bit more about that and be like, do you actually want to be an adult? Or is this just the way that you've been groomed to be and you actually should be treated as a child because you, because that's what's best for you. Um, I mean, I think ultimately we see her choose because she chooses between Moe's and her aunt and her aunt was very clearly like more of a, Mm -hmm. oh, I'll cook you some food. I'll take care of you. I'll give you a bath. You'll like, you can sleep with your cousin. You guys can play outside in the yard. Like, you know, and Addie clearly doesn't want that for herself, but does she actually not want that? Yeah, for I mean, herself? she is nine years old. I don't know if she's <laughs> necessarily capable of understanding what will be best for her in the long run. But, but I'm just you know. thinking, like, for me, from my perspective as an adult, mm-hmm. if I were to meet someone like her, what would be best? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but I'm not a child psychologist. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't work in I child mean, services. Based on my understanding of, of, you know, child development, it probably would be best for the child to be in a situation where they do not have to be the primary responsible caretaker for another adult and can actually be in a place where they can be among children of their own age and go to school and play. But, you know, there is also a level of kind of love and connection that she's getting from most that she probably would not get from her aunt. But do we know that, though? 
I don't know. She could have got, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So one, one thing that I wrote down, which this is kind of my, my last note, obviously we can talk about other things, but you want to, but this is just the last thing mm-hmm. in my notebook. This was almost, almost the quote that I chose to open the podcast, which was daddy, I need to go to the shit house. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so great it's so it's so great I totally forgot about that line and then I she said that and I was like that is just the best the best thing ever (laughs) it says so much about her character um which actually reminds me I we haven't talked really at all about the the whole kind of police sequence that happens towards the end bootlegging scam that they attempt to run that which I actually think is brilliant I think that if that guy had not been the brother of a police officer, it would have been a super awesome con. I just think it was so cool. That I mean, they it was kind their of, most lucrative con by far. They stole his own alcohol and sold it. to mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it's brilliant. I, I, I love that. Not that I would do that to anybody, but I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that's really cool. And then Moe's kind of snickers as he drives off. He's like, he bought his own liquor. Yeah. But, but yeah. didn't realize police nope. officers hiding behind a tree. You heard every yeah. word. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that whole kind of last that last scam that we have with the police officers and the chase and everything or or not too much? Um, I mean, not too much apart from, you know, it's it's just a very well done extended sequence. I mean, there's so many different elements to it because there's the the sort of figuring out what's going on with the alcohol and realizing that the the bootlegger stash is there and then executing the con itself. But then there's this sort of um couple chases because they're they get chased they get caught they're in the police station Addie like brilliantly stashes the money in her hat in a place that they were not looking which is great um and a lot gets the two of them to escape and then it's another great chase sequence there's that whole weird sequence where they try to swap cars with um like this old truck, yeah. the the hillbillies, and then so Moe's has to wrestle with one of them. Um, played by that fun guy. Fact, that's Randy the Quaid. same guy from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, well, he was also in What's Up, Doc, making this by my count three people. Although maybe there's more um, who are in What's Up, Doc, and now are in Paper Moon. But um, anyway, yeah, I love the fact that. Uh, Moe's actually wins the wrestling match you totally expect that he's gonna get his ass kicked but he doesn't yep I mean he he fights dirty but um the little wink he gives to Addy afterwards is very cute yeah um yeah there's just there's so much there I, I love how he reaches to open the car door and it just or the truck door and he just falls yeah. off there's yeah he's like the tires are new this, this is great movie. and then it's like well, the rest of it's not, but... There is so much of kicking tires in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, are these new tires? Let's kick it and find out. I'm like, I don't think <laughs> yeah. that's actually how you can tell good quality yeah. of tires or not, but okay. I don't know much about cars. So many but... people do it throughout the movie, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, okay. I, I maybe just this noticed... is something they did in the 30s. I don't know. Could be. I don't know. Expert expert tire kicker i just noticed on this watch that um when he acquires the the old truck and like has to swap out his old car he still keeps that little um the uh, spinny thing yeah the spinny thing on the the nose of the car like he transplants it onto the old truck he always gotta he always has to keep it with him 
Yep. His, his I love name. how there's this whole thing of the whole movie. I want my two hundred dollars. It's like he could have just sold it and gotten the two hundred. At any point, there are so many points throughout the whole uh, yeah. movie that they have the two hundred dollars. He could just <laughs> give it to her, and they could part ways. But no, they're, oh, they they want to be together. Speaking of kind of the the you know this last final con that kind of starts the whole police thing, mm-hmm. I found it to be interesting that Addie's the one who initiates it because Moses going through a breakup. It's like oh, Moses yeah. upset that <laughs> Trixie like he needs a distraction. with someone else and Addie sees that he's upset and she's like, um, you see that guy coming in and out? Maybe mm-hmm. we should check him out. See if there's like some potential there to maybe do something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, man. Yeah. She just, she, she's, she's so such an interesting observant. character. Mm-hmm. Just even just the, the sequence, the very first time that Mose, well, apart from when he gets that the money out of the um the brother of the guy who kills her mom the very first time he runs the bible scam in front of Addie um where she's sitting in the car and she is and it's really good filmmaking too because you're hearing in voiceover what Mose is saying to the lady about how like oh you know your dead husband bought this bible and then Addie is like looking through Mm -hmm. the contents of the car and she discovers the the bibles and the press in the back and she sees the little stamp thing and it's set up to say pearl and she reads reads the newspaper and it says the wife of the dead guy is pearl and then you hear mo say oh it's made out to pearl and she's like you can tell on her face like oh i see Mm -hmm. what's going on okay okay and, it's just- and that's how we as the audience learn about it, too. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's great filmmaking because it's showing us everything yeah. that we need to know without like mm-hmm. having yeah. most sit down and be like, so I'm actually a con person who sells Bibles mm-hmm. and blah, blah, you know. Yeah, we're simultaneously learning what Moses scam is which is going to be a very important part of how they make money through a lot of the movie but we're also learning so much about Addie because she's seeing all these bits of information and she's able to despite being nine years old able to put all of this together and instantly understand what it is he th- that he's doing yeah she's kind of like Sherlock a little bit <laughs> yeah, she'd make ways. a great detective I would love to see she really was Addie's later years in the yeah. set in the 1940s she's become a like lady her, detective. Her and Imogene team up. I could oh see gosh. that. Her and oh Imogene gosh. reunite in like 15 years and they become this power duo and they just like, I don't know, do something cool. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know. I think Imogene's super cool. And I love yeah, that whole is. relationship that they mm-hmm. have together because, you know, it's really the only other time in this movie where we see Addie interacting with someone else that's close to her age, mm-hmm. you know? And I think... It's Someone just else who's similar to her and that also has been forced to grow up very quickly too. Yeah, it's like this interesting dyna- dynamic where they can both sit down and be like, yeah, we're both traveling with these older people that are just kind of like running around doing all these things and we're just kind of here and mm-hmm. adults, adults, man, they be dumb, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I just think it's a really, it's a really, um, just really just cool friendship yeah. that they have. And I like that, that they both get to have that little bit of, I don't know, just like carefree joy for a little bit with the two of them. Um, I genuinely hope Imogene makes it back to her family and that uh, they live a long and happy life together. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But she's away from Trixie and back with her family. So hopefully that works out for Mm -hmm. the best regardless. Yeah. What happens to Trixie though? That's the question. Now that Mm. Trixie no longer has Imogene and... Like, does she get with the concierge guy? I don't, I don't see her I don't her think the concierge guy is going to be good for, for very much. Yeah, I don't think so yeah. either. She's, I mean, she seems like a survivor. I think she'll, 
she could stand on the side of the road with her thumb up and get someone else in five minutes I feel like yeah yeah she'll she'll ultimately be fine it might be a little rough for a little while she'll she'll figure it out um yeah again sorry I praised Madeline Kahn again so much but just as a again it's really funny watching rewatching what's up doc which is one of my favorite movies and then watching um paper moon in such quick succession because madeline khan and ryan o'neill play a couple in what's up doc but their characters are so different from the ones that they play here and yeah it's just fun to see you this should, different dynamic you should look up some um some reviews for this movie because a lot of the mm. reviews that i found for this movie compared it to what's up doc and people, at least in the reviews that I found, they did not, they did not appreciate What's Up Doc that much. Really? Yeah, they were like, this movie is the is like What's Up Doc is the lesser of these because What's Up Doc is trying to pose to be something, whereas Paper Moon is actually the thing without trying to be the <laughs> Interesting. thing. Interesting. I don't know. I have not seen What's Up Doc, so I can't speak to that. But wait, I haven't shown you What's Up Doc. Mm-mm. <gasps> how is how have we been friends for as long as we've been friends and i have there's not a lot made of you things. watch it there's a lot of things that we've been friends that oh my we goodness. haven't like i will still never get over bright star i will never get over that oh my how goodness. did we know each other <laughs> so fun fact for the listener geneva and i have known each other for several years we have watched many a movie together over the years. Me showing her movies, her showing me movies, movies we've both seen, going to the theater, blah, 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 blah. I had to discover on my own. I'm so ashamed. Like a year and a half ago, this beautiful masterpiece of a film called Bright Star directed by Jane Campion. I watched it, absolutely loved it, and called Geneva like immediately after and just told her, uh, Geneva, have you seen this movie? It's incredible. It's so beautiful. And Geneva's like, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I was like, why did you, A, <laughs> why did you not show me this? B, why did you not even tell me about it? Because I'd never heard of this movie. I only found it because I was doing a Jane Campion binge and I started, and I was watching her whole filmography and I was, I'd never heard of it before. And then Geneva's like, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I said, well, we're no longer friends because you never told me about it. <laughs> and then we would never spoke to each other again never spoke again but anyway sometimes it happens yeah, where it's like how is it how has geneva not show me this how yeah, i just feel like i've that? done so many like have a bunch of friends over and we watch what's up doc type of nights so i'm surprised that i yeah i don't know never had one with you yeah. maybe you just didn't like well me. we're gonna do an episode on it sooner or later so you'll get to see it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but anyway look up some reviews for this movie and kind of see how people compare the two because you might find it interesting yeah that is very um, interesting um i mean i could see like i mean what's up doc is very transparently an ode to the screwball comedies of the 1930s in its style um and i could see, i guess i could see people at the time being like well it's you know trying to take on the style of another another genre whereas this thing is the thing it is uh, which yeah. I think is dumb because What's Up Doc is perfect, but <laughs> <laughs> this perfect movie is also perfect. So I can neither need agree to nor disagree with each other. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else to to talk about with this movie in particular before we move on? Um, not that I can think of. Okay. Cool. Well, so just to go into a little bit how this movie was received. So this film surprisingly has a lowish score on Metacritic, but also it did, doesn't have many reviews on there at all. I think it has like yeah. five reviews. So With a movie whatever. from this far by, back, it's kind of hard to get yeah. any sort of accurate reading off of Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes. 
Yeah. But, you know, for just for funsies, it has a 77 on Metacritic and a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. But like I said, I went through both of those websites. Neither of them had that many reviews. So there we go. Um, As far as uh, awards, so it had four Oscar nominations. So it was uh, basically, so as many know, Tatum O'Neill was nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role, but also so was Madeline Kahn. And this movie- It is so ridiculous. And I think this is- still kind of a thing today but it is so strange just because she's a child she gets nominated for best supporting actress even though she's clearly the lead of the movie she is the lead yes it should i don't know i think it would be different now because we saw um for beasts of the southern wild that's uh, true i forget her name wallace i forget how to pronounce her first name she was nominated for best actress which we will be talking about that movie on this podcast at some point i love that movie and i know you haven't seen it i have not um but Anyway, yes, she should have been nominated for lead. And I feel like if she had, she also would have won. But anyway, um, this movie was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Sound. And as we've all, as we've said a million times, uh, Tatum O'Neill did win the Best Actress in a Supporting Role Oscar. Very well deserved. Very well deserved. Um, So as, as far as reviews go, like I said, I couldn't really find many that were actually from the year of 1973 so that leaves us with Roger Ebert because he's the only (laughs) one that had a review from 1973 that I could find so um yeah so he says by now everybody knows that Ryan O'Neill and his real life daughter Tatum play the man and the girl but I wonder how many moviegoers will be prepared for the astonishing confidence and depth that Tatum brings to what's really the starring role I'd heard about how good she was supposed to be, but I nevertheless expected a kind of clever cuteness like we get from Shirley Temple or young Elizabeth Taylor. Not at all. Tatum O'Neill creates a character out of thin air, makes us watch her every moment, and literally makes the movie work in the sense that this key role had to be well played. I think that you and I kind of expressed lots of the different points made in that paragraph there throughout this podcast, so I think it's fair to say we both agree with what he said. Yep, 100%. so yeah um just to kind of close out so with this movie gosh I mean I guess the thing that really just sticks with me about this movie is I I genuinely I know this there's so many great things about this movie so it seems kind of ridiculous for me to for this to be like the main thing that I'll say but honestly it genuinely is how I feel some sort of personal personal connection to this character of Addie the first time I watched this movie I genuinely just felt I felt like my little nine-year-old child inside of me was seen um and I just I relate so much to to her tough exterior but soft interior and coming across a certain way but when people get to know her they see the real side of her like she's tough but she's kind but she's she's funny she's all these different things if you just take the time to like you know get to know her a little bit she's not as scary as you might think um and when I was younger I was a lot more concerned about people finding me as scary than I am now because now I just don't flip and care um that's not true but (laughs) um not that's not fully true um but yeah so I don't know I just really like how this movie portrays a child in a way that's not childish. They are seen as a human that is valuable, that has um, importance and relevance to the world and has the ability to impact those around them and also to take in the world around them and learn and grow from it. Um, 
So yeah, her perf- Tatum O'Neill's performance is fantastic. I just, the, yeah, she makes this movie. She makes this movie. So yeah. 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 How about Ab- you, Geneva? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I could not agree more. It really is Tatum O'Neill. That is the, the takeaway, how good she is, how captivating, how compelling. Um, and just the, the dynamic between her and her father in this movie. Um, the, the relationship between Addie and Mose and the, um, the tensions that are there, but also the softening, how they are kind of two lonely, broken people who have been kind of messed up by the world in certain ways, but are able to find this um, sense of security to a certain extent and um, fulfillment and partnership and love in each other in the they're taking on these roles of of taking care of each other and, and forming this partnership and yeah I just I I really 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 do love that father-daughter dynamic that is the heart of this movie so yeah great movie <sighs> it's a good one father-daughter stories man mm-hmm. is that good. classic too I was thinking um the reluctant father figure and the plucky daughter figure mm-hmm. that you see in like the, I know that people love that HBO The Last of Us show, but that's kind of a also a just a trope that you see through a lot of movies and TV shows across time. It's just it's a it's a well worn dynamic that just is great. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I always love to see it. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who haven't watched The Last of Us, do it. It's good. So, yeah. Um, Okay, so that is um, our review of Paper Moon. Uh, Geneva, can you tell us what we will be talking about next week? Yes, I am so excited about this. We are going to be covering one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time, Amadeus from 1984. Yeah, I hmm, I thought this was your favorite of all time. No, Just in the top well, 10? Well, my favorite of all time is Singing in the Rain. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, of course. I knew that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a it oh, it's definitely top five. I mean Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like top ten is is low yeah. for this movie for you. <laughs> At least. Yeah. 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 So uh come prepared for that, everybody. I know that I will be prepared for perhaps a long discussion. I don't know. Probably. Don't know. It's a we'll long see. movie and Geneva's gonna have a lot to say. So um I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean I so much of it is just gonna be me being like Oh, in that moment. Oh, it's so good. Oh, in that that line. Oh, it's so good. So, yeah, if we if maybe after we both watch it, if you feel like this is a scenario where it's like we need to have a discussion about like, how are we going to format this? For example, like with me, mm. with the Lord of the Rings, we're going to need to talk about how are we breaking this up because oh, we can't yeah, do all of it in one episode. So mm-hmm. if you feel like we need to do that with Amadeus, just let me know. All right. We'll do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, So stick around for that, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.